Sanderissa piifatte superkankriitti. Mamma, hey mamma, what's this one? Hey, what's this one for? It looks like a kankarita. She just picks it up and throws it down again. No, no. I chiseled it. No, no. This is the worst spaghetti I ever had. Mamma. My teeth are all broke. <laughs> That's what happens when you break your teeth. You go from Italian to Brooklyn. <laughs> no, well, maybe. <laughs> hey, Pauline, I need you to take this pizza over across the street and get it there while it's hot. It's hot. Pauline. Mario, hey, my friend. Yeah, they're Pauly. using the. Hey, Polly, you want to give me that concrete or what? Jacob, my they're, friend. They're using the tablet that has the super concrete recipe that was found in the ruins of Vesuvius or whatever. They're using it as uh, oh, that's what no. they put the pizza pie on in the oven, the in the brick yeah, oven. Pizza. That's the pizza stone. <laughs> it's the pizza yeah, stone. I think they're using the uh, um, the, the ancient Grecian Greco pizza stone. Uh, Ten mm -hmm. pro. What are you Without doing? That's uh, the recipe for the super concrete. Super <laughs> <laughs> concrete. I don't know. I don't know. Super concrete. Uh, yeah, they, we've gone through four or five different. I lose the plot a little bit uh, when I get to concrete. I don't know how. Uh, you know. That's <clears throat> just the the concrete. I guess you could add probably another uh, syllable in uh, at the first part of the word. So concrete. The Canagrita! That's how I would do it. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Mark Potker. Jason. Andrew's back. And, and back. And back. And back. And oh, back. I see what you did there. Oh, oh, oh you, mm -hmm, you clever mm -hmm, son of a bitch. You um, cheeky, yeah. ice criminless son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> ice criminless. that. Um, tonight we were talking about the... Uh, 20, what, 17 sci-fi film, The Endless. Uh, the Endless was written by Justin Benson and directed by Justin Benson and his buddy Aaron Moorhead, also happened to be the two lead actors of the film. Um, also starring Callie Hernandez, Tate Ellington, Lou Temple, and James Jordan. These are all fake names. I, I don't know where these people came from. <laughs> Wait, Dude, Lou Diamond Phillips? a Hollywood name. Dude, Lou Diamond Phillips is real as fuck. You know it. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> anyways, um, the movie, um, I don't even have a budget for you guys. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Um, but I do know that the box office was $957,694. Oh, sorry. So $957,694. Not to butt in there, CB, but I did see a budget. Um, they, I think they made it for around two hundred grand. 
Oh, then they fucking this oh, was a blow. This was yeah, a whopping success. It. Wow, wow, yep. wow, wow. They made their money back. Um, assuming most of the money was spent on uh the special effects. Yep. Yeah, so yep. no, it wasn't mm-hmm. a, a fifteen million dollar movie that uh you know they returned a million um, on. So b- b- uh, wow. Quite I definitely surprising. thought it was much more like indie style until the effects started kicking in. But uh wow. So on Rotten Tomatoes, this movie is sitting at a ninety-two percent. Mm-hmm. And Metacritic at an eighty. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um <clears throat> All right, so uh, before we get into the movie, uh, I'm just going to tell you boys, unless somebody else wants to, tell me what this movie's about. Please do, Colin. Okay, I'll do it. Punch it, Chewie. Brothers receive a cryptic video message inspiring them to revisit the UFO death cult they escaped from a decade earlier. Hoping to find the closure that they couldn't find as young men, they're forced to reconsider the cult's beliefs when confronted with unexplainable phenomena surrounding the camp. As the members prepare for the coming of a mysterious event, as the members prepare for the coming of a mysterious event as the members prepare for the coming of a mysterious event the brothers race to unravel the seemingly impossible truth before their lives become permanently entangled with the cult it's the endless the endless i think it should be called the coming after you did that little bit (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) might not might not have worked so well uh you know that's the sequel I was going to say, Series 5 of Sci-Fi Cross-Sections has uh, Jason getting real raunchy. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm shitting this PG skin. It's PG-13 from here on out, buddy boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know what? We... He's going to say fuck twice per episode. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Oh, you just Watch used out. one of them. Thanks, Miller. Guess I can only say it once um, now. You No, you you get it. Well, we no, each you, have a quota, a quota system. So, everybody gets, yeah. everybody gets one, cool. and by that Good I mean two. So, Jason, was this just like on a, a search of like possible uh, potential movies to cover, or is this something that was kind of on your radar for a while? So, this was actually kind of on my radar for a while. Um, <clears throat> I had heard of it. Uh, I guess I'll back up really quick. So I'm a, a subscriber to the uh, service Shudder, uh, of which mm-hmm. I watched this on uh, last night. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of kept bumping into the film and I, I was curious what it was about. So I looked it up initially, you know, probably about a year ago or so. And, uh, you know, seems like something was interesting, but kind of forgot about it. You know, there's a lot of other topics for us to cover. Um and it was funny, but I, uh, in kind of re rebooting here, um, in 2022, you know, we were looking for some content and looking for some movies we wanted to cover. And, you know, I just did kind of a cursory list of sci-fi from the last 10 years, you know, that, uh, try to parse out some things maybe we missed and, uh, you know, maybe would be an interesting watch for us. And, uh, this film kind of consistently was popping up on a lot of those good films or or best sci-fi films of the last 10 to 15 years or films you may have missed Mm. lists. So that's what kind of prompted me to want to add it to our, uh, our queue. Uh, and you know, I'm glad we did. There's a lot to talk about here, which, uh, was, was kind of refreshing because going into it, didn't really know uh, if it was going to be, you know, um, a a deep movie or a real kind of brief movie, if it was gonna, you know, be more character focused, thematic, et cetera, et cetera. So, I think there's definitely a lot for us to chew on. 
<clears throat> I just found it interesting because we actually covered uh, a movie on this podcast probably like a, a year and a half ago or so um, involving Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, just another one written and directed by them. Uh, that is the uh, 2019 film Synchronic that had Anthony Mackie in it. Um, oh, I didn't realize that was them. Yeah, it's the same same dudes. Um, okay, they I was... didn't star in it in the same degree, but they definitely uh, created it. Yeah, I, I noticed that when I was kind of doing a little bit of background, um, you know, just looking to see what other stuff that they had uh, been involved in. And, you know, it seemed like they've got probably like four or five films out now that are all kind of in the same vein. They're all kind of the, the indie verse, you know, um, and I saw that movie and it looked familiar. I wasn't on that particular episode, but I think I remember when, um, you know, that that was the the topic of the week. I think it's also interesting that... Uh, you know, from this film and a few of their other kind of successes, they're the uh, showrunners for Moon Knight, I believe. Yeah. Oh. Uh, including yeah. directed a few of the episodes and no everything. Kidding. Yeah. Yep. They've done Moon Knight. Um, also, uh, what else did they do? The VHS uh, series. Didn't they do that as well? Oh. VHS oh, Viral. Wow. Um, from 2014, they did that as well. Hmm. Uh, so. That's the yeah, only one of nice. that series I haven't watched. Um, they, the v VHS kind of anthology. I, I really enjoy those movies. I was kind of mm -hmm. late to the party on mm -hmm. those, but really, really like cool. Found footage style. Yeah, but uh, Viral is the only one I have not seen. I don't think I've seen the first one. And I don't know if this is accurate, but uh, they've also done the Twilight, or I, I, this is accurate. They've done the Twilight Zone, uh, Archive 81, not familiar with. Uh, this is television, I should specify. Um, they're doing Moon Knight, and then um, it says Loki as well, so they're probably going to be involved oh. with the next ver uh, series of Loki, the next season or whatever. I think someone was just that I work with was just talking about Archive 81, positively. Positively, okay, well. I hated maybe, it, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we could put it on the list, but this sounds like not. <laughs> I would definitely like to talk about well, we've it. Watched, um, we've watched bad things before. Yeah, I'd definitely yeah. like to talk about it, but uh, yeah. Um, well, that's interesting. I'll have to see what capacity they were involved in that. I didn't think... Because that was the thing, you know, I was like going back and just trying to, to chart their career path, and you know, it's interesting. It seems like from kind of towing the line of these types of films, you know, and, and what their, uh, their strengths are, I guess you could say, given that, that universe, you know, and they're kind of operating within that low budget, but high concept sort of, um, uh, sort of universe with really good writing and I think good acting and, you know, just kind of an eye for making, um, the most of kind of what you have. It, it obviously worked for them. I mean, they're, they're attached to some pretty high profile projects. You can kind of see as the, uh, time has gone on there from, some of their their own films they're obviously uh you know on the industry watch list at this point so we'll see kind of where they go from here but it's good to see you know they, they kind of had humble beginnings and now they're getting on bigger and bigger productions mm -hmm. which yeah, is they kind really, of what you oh, want sorry. to see oh go ahead yeah. mark i just when the movie started i definitely was expecting more of a uh indie not like you know those like movie length versions of bottle episodes um hmm. they did the whole exit interview scenes where they didn't really show anything it was very still shot and focused on them um i was not expecting a bad movie necessarily but um <clears throat> i definitely wasn't expecting as good of a movie as we got uh mm -hmm. they 
the acting I felt like got better as the movie went on. Things started clicking together. And uh there were a few things that I was troubled with in the writing, but I enjoyed the sci-fi of it and the visual aspect of the sci-fi and there's a lot to like here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we kicked it off with an HP Lovecraft quote, so yeah, that yeah, was cool. I thought that, um, you know, that's such a, a, a trope thing with it can be used, I think, in ways where it's like effective and really sets the scene. It can be used in ways where it's kind of cheesy and, you know, it's been done to death. Right. But mm-hmm. if you pick the right quote and then you back it up with um, good content, I feel like it, I, I always like that. I'm a fan of it. And I thought they, they did, you know, especially mm-hmm. that second quote about the, uh, um, you know, siblings on their deathbed. Like you're actually uh, t- tell your tell your sibling or tell your family member how you really feel about them, and usually they uh, reserve that for you know when they're a captive audience, like a deathbed. You know, I thought that was a good quote, and it, it definitely played into everything that kind of came after. But the the one thing I wanted to bring up, and obviously you know uh, we've said this many times, or I've said it many times, I'm not a filmmaker per se. You know, I enjoy film and I enjoy watching film and analyzing kind of different uh, elements of it. And obviously a lot of the different types of archetypes and as we said, kind of tropey things that we notice from just media in general. Right. But the one thing that was really interesting to me was, and and I don't know if it is post-processing the way it was edited, if it was the way that the movie was actually shot or the types of cameras they shot it on. But, uh, I actually watched it with my wife and, uh, she had mentioned too, and it was funny because I was thinking of it, but I didn't say it. Just like the overall look that really like bloomed out like Vaseline on the lens. But then there's a lot of those scenes where it's kind of disorienting, where they're doing those shots where it's like a tracking shot or whatever. They're kind of walking through a scene and all of a sudden you see the kind of the the seams of the world or, you know, you see um, kind of that like fisheye effect. Like I thought a lot of that was done um, really well. And again, too, kind of serves as like that limitation of not having the big IMAX red whatever cameras, you know, I'm just make pulling industry terms out of my ass. But like, um, you know, whatever. Right. Like they kind of had a real bare bones setup. But within that bare bones setup, they did a lot of really cool things visually to make it stand out. So I, I right off the bat appreciated that the, the movie has kind of this weird, like bloomy ethereal sort of look to it, I guess, you know? Um, and I thought that really served it well. Um, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes they kind of, I don't want to say cut corners, but definitely were clever with the way that they were filming some things. Um, on a budget like that, you have to be, but I feel like it always served the story. Like they never, uh, took a shortcut and then it just felt out of place, but uh, yeah, whoever the cinematographer was, and I should probably know who that is. Uh, did a good job. Aaron Moorhead. Okay, so... <laughs> the, uh, Moorhead. Moorhead was the cinematographer on this one. So, cool. Um, it kind of makes sense on something this small. If you're looking it up, Colin, who is the composer? Because that was another thing I wanted to highlight while we are just kind of talking, like, production uh, details. Jimmy Laval. Or Lavalle. I don't know who that is. Okay. Yeah, I thought the score was really, you know, well-implemented, too. It was kind of that synthy sort of uh, backdrop that always just kind of felt... It felt eerie, you know, like that, that was my vibe. The whole first part of the movie before we really get into the conceit of like what it is when, you know, you still are kind of like the, okay, this is kind of weird and idyllic, but what's going on here? I got like big time, like midsummer vibes, you know, like this is kind of weird, whatever. And and I just thought that 
the look of the film, you know, like the, the visual uh, style mixed with the musical style definitely really set that uh, tone early and often that like, you know, it was eerie, but they were doing a lot of just kind of atmospherics as opposed to bludgeoning you over the head with effects driven stuff. You know, obviously some of that came later, but I thought like as far as setting the tone, just just really, really well done again. Yeah, I just looked up. Uh, definitely a you know musician and artists um it, it you know it's like a, a musical project it's been going on for a couple decades this uh, jimmy laval guy um it's a lot of electronic synthesizers Rhodes pianos from what i'm seeing hasn't really done a ton of soundtracks and the ones that would probably be most recognizable would be the endless and synchronic he also did as well um but for the most part that's that's it so but yeah definitely definitely served the uh the vibe they're going for in this film they did a, a good job with that yeah i agree i liked i liked the uh underlying creep that that you know their like synthy vibes had they did a good job of making you unsettle at all times so you didn't really know around what corner the uh villain was going to come they kept making it so obvious that it was going to be the culty stuff, but like it, you know, ended up not being that at all in a very like pleasantly surprising way. I thought it was going to be, but in some weirder way, I don't know. It, although <laughs> they kind of were almost culpable, like they had such a pat on the back moment there at the end. Good job, guys. We didn't get them trapped eternally. We were so close to letting that happen, you know, <laughs> like they made you almost, you know, feel sorry for all of them and, and not feel bad about the fact that they just misled them the entire time and almost got them trapped just so that they could have something new to experience, you know, apart from what they were already going through. So that's that's kind of part and parcel of a Lovecraftian story, especially some of the more popular ones, Call of Cthulhu. Um stuff like that, where the, the cult is definitely a presence, and they're definitely a nefarious presence, but it kind of takes the backseat to the eldritch horror that is just always kind of floating in the background. It's, there, there's, there's two ways you can do a Lovecraftian story uh, villain, or monster, if you will, is that you could just show it, and immediately you give a face and a voice, you know, to the monster itself, something, a creature that's supposed to be unknowable, unfathomable, even, you know, it's like, um, a, a brand new color, you know, like the guy says, I was going to say, or, yeah, they reference that. Yeah. Color. You or, can't describe. or you could, you know, sort of keep it in the back, just have it be a presence, have it be there and existing, but just don't show it. And that sort of keeps the, the fear momentum in there because you don't because it could be anything i mean it's hidden behind this you know fracturing of reality that we're seeing and uh i mean that in and of itself is uh is horrifying i mean you you look at the guy who was trapped in that tent on a, a three second cycle and uh that that's you know a horrific way to live so you keep things just vague enough and i think that's how you really do a because you, know, you do a lovecraftian story well because if you're in a book that leaves you, that leads it all to your imagination, right? But if you're playing a video game, if you're playing, or if you're watching a movie, 
I mean, it's really, uh, you, there, there are really only the two ways to do you it. You're saying the color out of space didn't do it justice? <laughs> I thought that I liked the I color out of space. I think, I, everyone, I, I think everyone here loved the color out of space. That was a fantastic movie. Yeah. That was a fun little, uh, Nick Coppola. Well, picture. it's funny um, you said that. I, I didn't get to. Because oh, I actually, right, you had to work. Oh, you see it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that man. was, that was one of the first times that I was like big time left out the beginning of that era of sci-fi cross well i brought my um i have like a mark doll and it it looks like you oh um it's got the little curly there it's got a nice the little big... curly hair thing in the front and everything like that oh, it's yeah, real the cute little, the little wave and i brought it with and yeah, i bought it there was... i bought a ticket for it and everything so i mean you were there <laughs> in, in spirit um some of his blood i think that was the the nice big picture that's on our facebook of like everyone but me and matt and it was just like, here's the sci-fi cross sections crew. Well, no one no, missed. No, 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 no. That was uh, that, that was uh, the last Jedi. Oh yeah. No one missed mm -hmm. Matt, but we missed Mark. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We we missed Matt. <laughs> I'm, I've missed Matt. I haven't seen Matt in like five years. But um. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, it's almost. Accurate. I was gonna say that uh, th it's funny that you know, Color Out of Space was brought up. We're talking about the the Nicolas Cage joint here from a few years ago that we covered on the cast, obviously, but. Um, because I, I got big time vibes, you know, it, it, it definitely channeled what was good about that movie in a lot of ways. And in that way, I think I agree with Miller that this was a good kind of take on that Lovecraftian horror. I thought another thing to be noted, too, I was waiting because, again, really didn't know. Right. I was waiting for the moment that this devolved in some way into like the gore fest. I was waiting for like, you know. Oh yeah, dudes uh in the the house or whatever and all of a sudden you're you're going to see some guy explode or get ripped apart or like, you know, uh implode or like, you know, it was going to really um become that sort of movie in the final act, but it never did. You know, everything was implied. And I think that takes a lot of restraint. Obviously, it could be because of, you know, um budgetary uh restrictions or concerns, right? You know, it, to cost a lot of money to do gore and blood and all that other sort of stuff. But I thought it was just as effective without it because the few things they did that kind of, um, that tried to like imply the horror, you know, I think it was the one, one thing it was like, uh, with on the hard drive, they found some file and it just implies some like horrific violence. Um, we're same with the, the, the crazy guy who uh, was on the three hour loop or whatever that he gets the gun for. It was very similar there that, uh, you know, he implies just this horror. Um, I, I don't know. I thought that was really effective and, and I liked that a lot. Um, kind of avoiding some of those tropes that some of the lower budget films, I think, could fall into kind of uh, um, devalue them a little bit if, if they happen to go that way especially with how strong everything was before it got to that point where it would have made sense to go that way. Well, I thought that was really interesting too. In, in the way they equated these time loops to your day to day, you know, mon, mon, yeah, your day to day reality, your, your like mundane job or whatever you have to go to. And, and like this loop you're stuck in every day after day. And the fact that some people are out having parties every night on the beach, you know, sleeping around, doing drugs, drinking beer, waiting for the loop to restart, while other people are stuck in a shittier loop where they can't sleep and, you know, they never get rest and 
all this shit, you know? Like, that was, that was an interesting, like, equation there to go along with their kind of uh, whole, whole backwriting theme. And it's all about willingness, all about willingness to accept what's going on, and then you'll, you'll have a better experience. You know, you'll have more time to live before the reset kind of stuff, whereas the people who choose mm-hmm. not to accept it, their stuff's a lot quicker. Well, it wasn't just that. It was, um, he mentioned that some loops are just quicker than others. So he, he was stuck in that, you know, three hour loop that he had. And it was just more comfortable to kill himself than to live through that loop over and over. That shitty, shitty loop. So it it was a matter of circumstance. Like once you're caught in the loop, it seemed like some loops are easier to get out of than others because if he had been, if they had found themselves trapped in that three hour loop, they could get stuck much easier. But if that longer loop, they were able to spend days fishing and shit and then still get out, you know? I mean, yeah. And, and so to me, I guess the foreshadow probably what I'll get to um, in a little bit when we do our, you know, patent pending, trademarked, uh, good sci-fi, bad sci-fi that everyone loves us for. (laughs) What was cool about this film that maybe was lacking in like our uh, analysis of Soldier, you know, last week, is that this actually asked and then pondered those questions, right? The questions we look for and we say that that's kind of how we engage with good sci-fi or at least sci-fi that's trying right even if it ends up not being good sci-fi in the end i thought that the moment that really resonated with me is with you know our main characters and they're kind of pondering that now having everything kind of laid bare they see how these loops are working and our one character i think it was aaron because justin was the one with the darker hair right I believe so. Uh, Justin was the older brother. Yeah. Uh, Aaron so, was the, the, the naive one. Yeah. So Aaron, well, it's funny the way they played that off too. Cause yes, in some ways he did seem naive. Right. But in other ways it was interesting. And especially in kind of the end, which I'm sure we'll get to like the way that what the way that things went, um, you know, he kind of showed a certain wisdom that I think Justin lacked. But what was interesting to me is now knowing how this works and knowing that, you know, it's a, a time loop and, you know, if, if you get caught in one, you're caught in them all, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He still says, you know, I think I'm going to stay. And they have this conversation back and forth and he basically tells the brother, like, I think Justin says, like, well, yeah, but it, when we leave here, we're free. We have freedom. We can do whatever we want. And Aaron says, yeah, but, you know, we're going to be eating shitty ramen noodles and we're cleaning houses and like this life that you've made or this life you've created that you expect me to live sucks. And I'd rather be dead (laughs) or I'd rather die a million times, but have, you know, some comfort than to live this existence of just kind of pain and isolation and loneliness and whatever. And that that was the moment that really like got me. It was like, wow, you know, that's what an interesting kind of thought experiment to ponder that I'm sure there are people that are in situations like that in our world where they're living that loop and they're, you know, in that uh, kind of cycle of destruction uh, within themselves, you know, whether that's uh, actual physical destruction or it's, you know, metaphorical, it's internal 
kind of destruction or this internal apocalypse that they're living day in, day out, whatever. Um, just really interesting. And then I thought the way that those characters navigated their way out of that maze was was handled really well. And ultimately, uh, the movie ended up being, I think, very uplifting in that sense, you know, had a good message there. And I thought played on those fam- family dynamics between the two brothers uh, really well and in a very engaging way. But but that's what we look for. Right. And I thought that that was that was cool. You know, it was a lot of build up to that kind of fundamental question. But the movie did ask it. Right. And it took the time to really kind of feel out those implications through a lot of the dialogue and the conversations and all that. And and then really as a microcosm of all these little loops that are going on. Right. Because all these loops have some other sort of existential question that that's happening, you know, that, that, that those characters are grappling with and that the filmmakers are trying to show us, Hey, well, this is what could happen, or this is what could happen. Or if you go this path, this is what, you know, so I really like that a lot. Um, there's one thing I wanted, I wanted to say, um, what was it? Oh, it was kind of going back to that. Um, not showing the gore in, in what we would consider this to be like a sci-fi horror. Um, mm-hmm. it, and this also kind of goes into what Andrew was talking about and with, you know, when you're reading a book and it's all up to the imagination. I think these writers knew their limitations with their budget. And then, you know, the filmmaker, uh, Aaron Moorhead, they realized what they had and they leaned into it and using the imagination or allowing the person watching it to use their imagination can end up being way more beneficial than trying to waste money on showing shit that people can't suspend their disbelief on. Nothing scarier than the human imagination, to be honest. <clears throat> so, um, that was one of the things I really appreciated about this. And I kind of like to see it in this because, um, <clears throat> not to keep pulling back to it, but the movie's synchronic. Um, a lot more special effects going on in that movie, uh, but it's not a horror film. It is essentially just a sci fi movie. And so it, it's just a lot more conversation going on than anything else. They're not really trying to show stuff, but I uh, kind of liked how they explored this with the, the horror uh, aspect of it. No. I meant to ask you guys, what was the consensus on that one? Because I don't know if that, that was kind of a busy time for me. I didn't really get a chance um, to go back and listen I, to that episode, but was it a, a pro? You know, like, was it a... Uh, so... Uh, I don't think I was on that yeah, I think one. It might have been just me, Ben, and Bill. Um, I know... Ben didn't like it. Uh, I actually did like it for the most part. Um, I definitely think there were flaws involved, but I wasn't quite as displeased with it. Um, I know critically it did rather well. Um, and I can see how. I, there's something about their writing, and I can't place it. It's, they're good at writing, but there's something missing. Everything is very dry. And even the way that, it, like, the actors portray it, it's still very dry. I, I can't place it. <sighs> I don't know. It's really yeah, it's hard. weird. It, it, I kind of get where you're where you're at with that. It's like there's almost this, um, for lack of a better word, like this kind of um, irreverent streak that they that their writing has, where like I appreciated the humor. I know, like Jess did too when we watched it. Like it, it was, mm-hmm. it was funnier in in spots when when the jokes worked i wasn't truthfully a big fan of uh done uh done gun toting motorcycle guy 
I wasn't a huge fan of him. Um, you know, but I, it, I mean, I got it. It worked, you know, uh, and I thought some of the other humor was, was well-placed and everything, but it it can come across as kind of jarring, um, in some, some spots, I think, you know, but I think overall, you know, it was, it was a really strong conceit. They kept it focused to enough characters to where nothing really ever felt like it was, um, it, like it was not necessary, you know, or any characters weren't necessary. So I appreciated that. But I, I kind of see what you're saying, Colin, and it's kind of hard to put your finger on. But yeah, there is something about it, which again, they, they've made films, I think, since this. So who knows if that's been more, you know, polished um, since then, whatever. But not saying, you know, I could do any better. But I think that a lot of the what works about at least this film is that kind of believable chemistry uh that the two leads have and it was funny because i didn't realize that they were also the filmmakers until after you know until i was doing my my normal kind of after watch research for for this you know then found out that oh wait those guys you know pretty much wrote and directed and did all this produced did all this for this movie and you know it kind of makes sense because obviously if they have that type of working relationship you know they're close i'm sure they're friends they have that friendship Mm -hmm. and kind of that partnership or uh that trust, you know, in their art. And I thought that really came across too, because they're pretty believable as, as brothers. It, it did, um, to the, to the pro side, I would say came across as rather, uh, effortless and kind of real conversation, you know, a lot of like real things that brothers I'm sure would, you know, I don't have a brother, I have a sister, but, um, I would assume, you know, kind of real things you would joke about or kind of take the piss out of someone, you know, that type of thing. So. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. They definitely understood the sort of uh, source material, but I like that they humanized it. With a lot of uh, Lovecraftian stories, you get a lot of, like, you know, super protagonists or something like that, or, or somebody who's on the verge of madness and going to, you know, commit suicide to forget what they've done, much like some of the characters in this movie towards the end. Um, but they definitely, I, I like the human touch. I like this new wave of, um, you know, Lovecraftian stories, but with the human, the human side to it. Um, the, a movie from, I think, uh, I can't remember what year it is. I think it's 2019. It's called The Void. Uh, similarly, Lovecraftian story. Um, but it takes place, it's um, a tw- uh, 2016 film, The Void. Uh, it takes place um, just inside of a hospital. And... Um, you know, it, it's the main character's a, a sheriff and his estranged wife is a nurse, you know, and he, you know, so he, he's there the entire night trying to take care of this guy who's, you know, shows up in front of his squad car covered in blood and it's, you know, rural America, you know, nondescript American town, but then there's all this crazy, you know, eldritch horror Lovecraftian stuff in the background. But there's that human element, you know, you want to see these guys succeed, you know, you, you really get invested with their story. Uh, you know, same, same of the void, same of this movie. Yeah. I love the void Miller. I actually saw that in 2016, mm-hmm. the, the day it came out. No yeah, shit. And, and That's I, awesome. I don't want to say what happens just for the, you know, in the case that uh, Mark and Colin ever want to see that movie, but the main arc of that is devastating, devastating, like emotionally. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's a fantastic, fantastic yeah, and very movie. much in effect showcase as well. That was a movie that does lean into the gore and leans into that kind of yeah. um, body horror, uh, you know, very much in the mm-hmm. way like of, uh, of the thing, you know, a lot of practical effects. So very cool yep. in that regard as well. But um, 
I definitely like the comparison where Miller's going there as far as uh, it really mm-hmm. humanizes that Lovecraftian horror kind of element where, yeah, it's there, it's in the background. So fans of that are going to find a lot to, to kind of feast, feast You're their eyes You're never going to guess who directed this movie. <laughs> You're never going to direct it, The Void. Huh. Uh, Stephen Kostansky and Jeremy Gillespie. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> Mark's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely did. That's not the same guys who directed this, is it? No, no. <clears throat> oh, the one guy looks. Uh, Steve Steve Costanzi uh, looks um, a lot like. Uh, oh, they did Psycho Gorman. Yeah, they did yeah. Psycho Gorman. Yep. I think. Yep. Yeah, another movie. They both, we love. They both worked together on uh, Father's Day as well. Mm. Yeah, no, the um, voice. And they were uh, Laser Ghost Two. Well, if you boys ever want to do, if you, uh, Andrew and Jason and yes. you know and Mark, if you guys want to do the void, feel free to add it to the list and do the void. Yeah. Mm, um, it's not really. Can we, can we also do so, Enter the Void? Uh, I've never seen that one. Still, <laughs> I've seen that day. one. Um, get, but we could. The, I guess oh, it's sci-fi, Mark. <laughs> So I, I, I just thought of this. Oh, by the way, we still haven't done the abyss yet, so that's going on the list. But um, absolutely, mm-hmm. I just thought of this. I'm almost scared to watch it. By the, by the way, because I've watched Sphere and it wasn't what I remember. I've watched Soldier and it wasn't what I remember. I don't want to watch the abyss and it not be what I remember. <laughs> don't worry because if you do. We'll, in my head, you got to take that plunge. In my head, the abyss yeah. is a masterpiece. We'll, so we'll, we'll do know. a cameo for Ed Harris for you, like. <laughs> to, to you know, calm like calm you down and heal your wounds. To yeah. a, uh, what do you call it? A sway, uh, a sway, assuage your, your, your bruised childhood. My 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 trepidations. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. that's funny. Uh, okay, so uh, I I wanted to mention, and I don't know how you guys felt about this, but I was super disappointed when they pointed out, or when they finally revealed who has been leaving the sticky notes, mm. little quiet sticky notes. I felt mm-hmm. like that was like I felt like that should have been bigger, given that he kept finding those throughout the the first half plus of the movie. Yeah, I was hoping yeah. they would be something like a um, once you would kind of learn that it was a a cyclical thing, that there was something to do with past cycles. Mm-hmm. So okay, so I guess I'll let me add this then because this was something I kind of read about. So. Um, this movie is a companion piece to another movie they did, and I guess in the other movie they did, the character of, I think it was Dave, and then the other guy who was chained to the radiator that they're trying to get clean, their loop Mm -hmm. is, is the movie. And the, the, that movie, uh, I mean, cause resolution um, so that was kind of that whole arc was actually a, a reference and Easter egg to that movie, um, because I guess that is a similar thing where there's this kind of unseen eldritch horror um, that's, you know, lurking. And, and it actually is the same one from The Endless. Um, but, you know, that movie was obviously a much smaller scale, but um, that that those characters appeared in that. So that that whole thing was kind of a, a follow up from that for in-universe kind of, you know, fans or whatever like that, but it also kind of played into it. So I thought that was interesting. I also 
will say with that, I really loved at the end the scene where she's on that bike and she's getting the fuck out of there. That was cool. Yeah. Because yeah, she didn't even look back. Yeah, because it was interesting to me because up until that moment, I think part of me knew. Like, I I really like the way that they they developed and then stuck to their rules. You know, it's cool to me whenever a movie or like, uh, you know, filmmakers, whatever, like if they have this high concept thing, they think about it and they actually dictate like, okay, this is how this works and we're going to stick to that. So like that woman, you know, was there, she knew what was going to happen, whatever. And then she hightailed it out of there because she didn't want to get stuck. And then she, she'll come back. I'm sure after everything resets, you know, she'll come back, she'll live there. She'll keep looking for her husband, whatever. And that, that also has some pretty deep implications. It's like, wow. You know, I mean, if, cause that's the thing. I mean, the way they kind of make it set up, like she can't see that loop. So if she looks at the house, she's just seeing the house, you know, like she's not going to necessarily see the husband and the friend going through that loop even if she was right there in the camp, you know, and the, the fact that it also played with perception of what folks can and can't see when they're in the little time loop bubble, who can enter, who can exit, who can't enter, who can't exit. Um, just, I don't know. It, it was, it was complex if you really start breaking it down and thinking about it, but it was simple enough to really follow. And, and it all makes sense in a weird way. Like it does, it, it makes sense. You know, it's like a bunch of these little bubbles in this big bubble and the rules and physics in each of those little bubbles is completely different based on this, you know, unknown horror. Uh, so I was just really clever. But same thing, too. I didn't think and everything I've read about this film did not think that's where it was going to go. You know, I didn't think it was going to be a time right. loop movie. Mm, nope. No way. I thought I thought it was going to be some sort of alien cult thing. And, you know, there was going to be some angle with that or there's something weird going on in the little uh, shed. It was going to be like. Uh, like it really gave me vibes like uh what's that movie um uh hereditary kind of like you know your A24 midsummer hereditary sort of you know meets color out of space but really God, it, it was its own thing you know it it I, I wish these guys could have A24 money I <clears throat> I guess they could now that they're doing Marvel shit but um yeah uh A24 always puts on like quality quality no matter like who's doing it i would love for Mm -hmm. these guys to get a shot at that kind of stuff too see what they do but yeah it's hard to figure out exactly what the difference is you know because i mean there there were a lot of things that were not flawed about this movie but what makes it feel like an indie movie versus something is it cinematography i mean that they're like it wasn't a bad quality of you know video but is it the way that they shoot it though you know that bigger pictures maybe have the time in their budget to shoot at multiple different depths of angle and different sides of the conversation things like is it is that it i don't know i can't figure it out i think the i think one of the aspect is um how star-studded the cast is <laughs> yeah that's that's always i mean a, my yeah. Yeah. My God, the, the, the directors appeared in this movie, you know, they really want, and it's, it's a, it's a, I think there's an aspect of passion and I think there's an aspect of ambition and, uh, trying to understand what you're going for, you know, Mm -hmm. they, they had, 
this amount in the budget. And they said, all right, well, let's craft a movie around this budget instead of saying, how can we stretch the budget and make a movie that maybe they, maybe they wanted to make a different movie. This is the movie that they were able to afford to make. And I mean, they stayed in their lane and did a really great job about it. You know, I mean, they could have spent like, oh, well, you know, let's, uh, you know, let's, you know, allocate $50,000 to making a, you know, really crummy CG, you know, Eldritch horror, but they didn't do that. You know, they, they paid their actors salaries. Presumably they, you know, either had the, bought the camera equipment or rented it, you know, paid an editor. They, they stayed, they stayed in their lane, I think. And so I think that's where a lot of indie movies sort of lose the plot when they're not, when they're, they're trying to be more, they're trying to be bigger than what they are. You know, yeah, this felt like it was appropriately sized. I, 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 I'm agreeing with Miller a lot this episode. This is great. I like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't get used to it. I think it's his probably his, uh, you know, his anger at not receiving his ice cream with his order that he's just a lot more like uh, mm-hmm. agreeable and affable to where, you know, we're just <laughs> I'm going back to it. I'm going back. I'm getting that. I'm getting that fucking. Ice but cream. Uh, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's the thing. It's like <laughs> it's the vision. Right. You know, but at the same time, too, like the dedication to theme and then i was gonna say too like it's a long movie you know it's an hour and 50 minutes right but that being said it's not for for as much time as they really spend on a lot of the character relationships which is another thing to me that kind of feels indie because they spend a lot of time on relationships and dialogue and that type of thing which you're not to say you're not going to see that in a big budget you know three hour long modern you know, movie, whatever, uh, hundreds of million dollar movie, but usually not quite the case. And if it is, it's kind of bloated. I felt like this was an hour and 50 minutes, felt like an hour, 50 minute long movie. Like that was appropriate, but also like, you know, they, they took the time to really develop that, but they did it in a way where it was constantly moving to the next thing. So it, it never felt like, and that's a, a good balancing act. I feel like, cause it's very easy to then just have those long ponderous scenes of people sitting in a boat <laughs> looking at the horizon or whatever like that, but they didn't really have that. So it's a long movie. Yes, but I feel like it covered a lot of ground. And to me that, that um, strikes me as kind of an indie thing as well. You know, if, if they can do that and do it well. So. Yeah. You know, I, now that you're talking about the way that they, the characters are interacting, there is a lot more of a, like almost round Robin feel of character interaction there. I feel like, um, when you have a cast that is tiered in a way, you have your top two or three people who are the highest paid people, and then it tears down, and they get the most screen time, and most of the interactions are in between each other, and there's a lot of character play there, and then it, the other people are just supporting in more or less scenes. But in this, it really felt like a lot of people had dialogue with a lot of other characters. Like, they, everyone got a good amount of screen time. The brothers were obviously the main characters, but it didn't feel like you were mostly looking at interactions between one of the two main characters and other people. Like there were a lot of screen time for other actors in a way that I think that does maybe not shows that it's an indie, but that it's the fact that it's not a, you know, 
title where you have a Ben Affleck and you know whatever Selma Hayek like oh god and that's it can, 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 and can, everyone else is just there re- to support re- them shoot this movie with Ben Affleck and Selma Hayek <laughs> <laughs> well he was already in it he played the big uh, iridescent uh, blob thing mm-hmm Mm, right. That was Ben oh, Affleck okay. going, and believe it or not, Selma Hayek played the Hefeweizen that was in the glass. Ooh. Now here's the thing: I'm no brewer, She's a nice but I, She's I have a problem. Turned into <laughs> beer. I have a problem with that, and maybe Mark Mark can Old help Bobby. me out here, or Miller can help me out here, or Colin, even you for that matter. Hefeweizen's but, way foamier than uh, that. Even Colin, yeah, that, that was like <laughs> even Colin. That looked to me like they were drinking. That was like apple juice or something. Because it was probably non-alcoholic Hefeweizen. There was no carbonation <laughs> what whatsoever there. They were throwing that back mm-hmm. like it was nothing, and that just didn't yeah, sit like, right hey, with just me. Just pour your glass real quick. <laughs> no foam. Yeah, not, not at beer. all. I definitely thought they're something. Using, they're using like a uh, pump tap kegs. They're not using kegerators because you can't get CO two in uh, in the uh, the loop. <laughs> you got to oh, farm your own, maybe. So mm-hmm. I did no carbolic acid. I definitely thought there was something in the beer. That was making them hallucinate. Yes, because they they <laughs> yeah, or those hallucinogenic well, flowers was, like, that girl was smoking, it, and then he just like pours it out at one point. The the guy that makes mm-hmm. the half mm-hmm. horizon, I guess yeah, they they, they kind of put a few red uh, like red herrings in there when they said like, oh yeah, well we grow the grain, and I'm thinking, oh it's the land, it's got to be something like that, like they're growing it in some weird ass you know bubble that's been you know it's where where the alien ship landed or something and then that's where they're you know growing the grain and then that's transforming them and i think even at one point jess was even like oh they're all aliens like they're all aliens that's why they're so weird <laughs> and blah 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 and they don't age and all this so it was kind of cool too that i think just the premise uh, of the film and the way that it's set up it kind of created this world of possibilities to where oh wh- where is this going to go you know um, and it really did leave you guessing as to what the nature of this thing was until about the midway point, and it really started um, kind of bringing that to light. One thing I did want to mention, because I thought it was interesting, and it was kind of an implication that was made, but I wanted to see if you guys caught it. Because, you know, throughout the whole thing, it's like, at least early on, the the implication is that the this cult was a cult, and they were very culty, and they had uniforms and they did all this other shit. And I think the one game says, oh, they're like castrated and, you know, it's just really weird, whatever. And then you you get there and they're, you know, um, almost at the end of this next 10 year loop. Right. But we don't know that yet. And they're all wearing normal clothes or kind of dressed like your normal like denizens of Seattle. You know, they've got they're very kind of trendy and they're wearing flannels and they're drinking beer and, you know, oh, it looks really cool, whatever. And then you start seeing well, some things that are wrong, like, you know, the one woman is is just as old as they remember when when they were kids. And then, you know, there was kind of that creepy implication there, whatever. And then there's the one guy who was wearing the cult outfit, right? He was wearing like the Heaven's Gate, like white button up shirt and all that other stuff. And and I thought it was interesting because they had that big um, blowout fight where you're kind of led to believe that the brother Justin was lying to Aaron. But then to me, I kind of took it as they were the culty alien cult. They went through this loop and then they kind of mellowed out over the last 10 years. Cause they realized that it's not the alien cult. Did you guys pick up on that? Or am I, cause they said like, Oh, we can't get Dave to take the shirt off, but you know, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> et cetera. So it was like, that was kind of my thought was that it was kind of that cult. They left it and then 
you know, when they revisited or whatever, those people after the loop had kind of like mellowed out because they realized it wasn't, it was something else. But I didn't know if you guys picked up on that or if I was just creating my own narrative or whatever. No, I, I, I think I got that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that too much because well, they, that tape they showed had all of them wearing that outfit. But then the the fight like took the focus away from that so fast that I kind of lost track of it because they immediately moved into the whole like searching for the other cabins and stuff. Like you, they lost that really quick. But that was a big tell there. I think you're you're right. Yeah, because I think at that point they were still uh, at least that main guy. Ah, uh, oh, what's his name? Salt and Pepper Man. Um, Hat was Evan it Hal? <laughs> was it Hal? Yeah. Hal was. Yeah, I think at that point he was still uh, trying to bring them in to the, you know, come in and stay through the third moon and, you know, join, join the cult and whatever, join the group or the family or whatever. And then, um, you know, kind of obviously through, I think his own, which that was cool too. Cause right. Like we said, it, it, even the cult is humanized in the end because they do have that big hand slap, you know, back slap moment. Oh, good on us. You know, we, we. We let them kind of do their thing and we were upfront and honest with them. But that was actually kind of cool because I remember that scene where that character, Flannel Man, is sitting by the fire and kind of has that realization like, you know, go go get your brother. You know, like he, he understands it's too late for him, but it's not too late for you. And I thought that kind of uh, also uh, plays into the the positive message that I think this movie leaves the audience with. That you can, you can choose to unsubscribe from the loop you don't have to you don't have to live that life and you might be walking into uncertainty but having some degree of you know uh self i guess determination there or choice or agency yeah yeah, um is much better than giving all that up for for comfort or whatever so so definitely definitely thought that was was well done so so what did the gas the gas thing mean at the end we're gonna have to stop for the guy doesn't know how to drive a car. We're gonna have to stop for gas. No, we don't. It's always empty. You figured it out. What did that mean? That was the older brother finally giving the younger brother some agency. I thought he said mm-hmm. you'll figure it out. No, I thought he said you figured it out. He said you'll figure it out. Oh, yeah, that was that was oh. the older brother basically saying because if you notice at the end. Right. Aaron's driving. And Justin, instead of saying, no, stop now for gas or blah, 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 you got to do whatever. He's saying, no, man, you got it. I I believe in you. Because that's all that Aaron ever really wanted. Right. Was just Justin to give him some agency. So much more sense now Um, (laughs) because I was like, you figured it out. I was like, what did he figure out? I don't understand. Clearly, it's very clear that the 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 bubble is you know, exploded at the end as they were leaving. <laughs> They're not stuck. I in think it was now. also, it was also a, a, a matter of like, well, yeah, it's there. The tank is always empty. They're always, he's always putting in a couple bucks or whatever, just to keep it right above empty. Mm. Oh, and that's I don't think the guy really realized too, yeah. like how thin they were spread. It, like going back to the whole, you need to buy a battery and then, uh, he buys the tape recorder thing mm-hmm. and the brother's like, well, 
the money we were supposed to spend in the battery you just spent on that so now we have to save up to get the battery again and like i think it, it's like a little tie in there and like all right you're gonna be in on this now we're making mistakes together. Yeah, because even, you know, to that point, that's really good, Mark. I actually hadn't even thought about that until you just said it, but that's that's really, you know, great. Like, even with the mistakes that were made, right, and both of them make a ton of mistakes, and it's implied have made a ton of mistakes in kind of their life together in the last decade. You know, same thing with the car. Whether it was just something weird going on, whether it was the monster, whether Aaron did leave the dome light on, they couldn't have got out of there if it was just one of them. It took them together, even with, you know, the, uh, yeah. the, the battery, like, yeah, Aaron made the mistake, but, you know, when they put their heads together and they were family and they were brothers and they kind of worked as equals, they were able to get out of that situation. Whereas if Justin just left, he, no way in hell he would have been able to push the car and get it started to go, you know? So I think, like you said, all, we're always on empty, right? As a, as a society, as individuals, I feel like, especially with the state of the world today with everything going on. Um, we do the best we can. We're always on empty, but we'll figure it out. Yep. Yeah. And Mark just came up with that. That might be the soundbite for this episode or whatever, but I did not come up with that. Mark did. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> no, it's a, wait. No, we all heard it. Um, oh, so that that is very. Oh, oh. All right, man. My favorite. My favorite part about this podcast is when we, I come in and I'm like, I like this. But as we talk about it, there's more and more things that I start to like unpack, mm-hmm. you know, in, in process in real time, especially when I watch it right before because everything's so fresh. Yeah. Like, I really enjoy. I mean, that's that's why we started this whole podcast. Totally. I yeah. find myself every time really it, when, when there's actually something there to digest. I really enjoy the fact that us just having this conversation, uh, you know, naturally brings a lot more out of the movie for me hell yeah that's 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 honestly why i love doing this is because in the conversation people are coming in with things they thought of or things they read that you didn't think of and that you didn't read and so they all bring it together and it just you know fucking opens everything up for you it's really good or you know sometimes we're watching soldier and we just have a good time like it <laughs> we're, we're gonna talk about it yeah. we're, we're gonna dissect it we're gonna let you know what we think about it you know but no i i think <laughs> i'm so glad boys i know we're, we're about to transition into our, our closing here but um i am so glad that this was one of those movies that actually kind of jogged some conversation and sparked that because yeah. I was afraid. I was like, yeah, you know, it, it sounds like it's a good one and, and let's get into it. And I, you know, I brought it up to the group and whatever, but like, I was so afraid it was going to go that way where it was kind of another, um, you know, dud <laughs> sci-fi and uh, <laughs> that we wouldn't really have a lot to talk about or it would just kind of be a very surface level movie. So I am glad that uh, everyone seemed to have that, uh, that response to it and that it really sparked some good, good conversation tonight. Well, I'm going to be honest. For like the first half of the movie, I was just like, ah. but then things really started to open up. And I was like, oh, okay, this, this is a lot better than I thought it was. Um, it just took, it, it's one of these it a, movies. It was a slow, slow builder for me, for sure. Yeah. Um, so. Well, they, they did a good job of um, using the like, ooh, where's the threat coming from to kind of yep. suspend you in that through the first half. And then they were just like, just kidding. Here's where it is. We're not going to like hold you on a rope. 
this is what it is, and we're going to just develop that for the next half of the movie. Yep. yep. The, uh, yeah. No, the, the first third of the movie, for sure, was just like a cringe fest for me for some reason. I was just like, oh, boy. Hmm. Uh, but it all pulled through. And then looking back, especially after the conversation with you guys, all of it was well done. So, um, okay. Jason uh, kind of gave it away. But yes, we're moving into good sci-fi, bad sci-fi now, boys. So, Mark, mm-hmm. tell me what you think. Is it good sci-fi? Is it bad sci-fi? Is it mediocre sci-fi? Is it meh sci-fi? Is it <laughs> sci-fi? What is it? I thought it was good sci-fi. Um, you know, I think this goes to show that to make good sci-fi, you don't necessarily need a huge budget in 3D printed guns and uh, flying through space and shit. Um, I prefer that, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> just kidding. I think uh, so many of modern sci-fi uh, pieces spend so long focusing on the set design and aspects of the story that they end up falling short of what we want of them because they focus so much on making it this sci-fi set piece, you know? Um, this, they really delved into the characters and uh, gave it a very human side that I think those other things are missing. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Great sci-fi. Great sci-fi. All right. Thank you, Mark. Jason? Yeah. Um, no, I echo a lot of things Mark said. You know, uh, definitely was really pleased with the movie. I, I'm, again, glad that it kind of sparked a lot of good conversation tonight. I'm glad that it had such a good um, kind of strong adherence and belief in its theme and in its cast and its writing and, and kind of the setting. Uh, I thought it was really well executed. So, yeah, in, in terms of that kind of factor, we always say we look for, um, you know, the, the Bill Jarvis factor trademark of making mm-hmm. us kind of ponder what it means to be human and asking those questions. I thought it definitely did that and was exceptional at doing that. So I would say, you know, great sci-fi. And, and I thought it was a good movie. You know, it wasn't a 10 out of 10 movie. It wasn't like the best thing ever. I mean, we have to contextualize it right with stuff we've seen and, and you know, um, but I thought it was very well done for what it was and uh, would definitely recommend it highly to everyone looking for that type of modern Lovecraft kind of with that that A24 spin uh, or that kind of character focused or emotional sort of spin, uh, which we've luckily gotten a few good ones of recently. So uh, many of which we've covered here. So great sci-fi, good movie. All right. Thank you, Jason. That should be realize something. Can you imagine if in like X amount of years, we're going to stop saying indie film and we're going to start saying A24 film. <laughs> just to like replace it. <laughs> no, we'll be on A25 uh, by then, but. A twenty-five. I don't think the world's ready for that. But uh, Andrew, no, 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 give me, give it to me. You know, I thought it was a really good movie. Um, I got to watch it for free, so that was a that's always a big plus. Yeah, it was free on Amazon, not plugging Amazon, but it was free I know. on Amazon. And they that said was crazy with, with commercials, with advertisements. I didn't see one goddamn I advertisement. Didn't watch one. Oh, that's good. Nope. Good. I didn't see it. I but, did. Yeah, I did I, it on my iPad, and then uh, when mm. I switched to my computer, it was gone. I think ad blocker. Ad blocker oh, works. Ad Sweet. Oh, it could be. Yeah, ad block lives. Uh, I thought it was a really good movie. Um, you know, I like these modern uh, Lovecraftian stories. You know, what I mean, the, the the thing with Lovecraft stories is that you you always run into is it sci fi? Is it straight up horror? You know, it, you know, 
there, there's a there's a Venn diagram. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think this I think this one got into the um, sci fi horror uh, aspect of it. You know, it wasn't, you know, the the crazy body horror with, you know, the alien dogs or whatever. You know, there wasn't uh, some mutant freak or some like falling star. Um, it was uh, it was just a really interesting sci fi story. And uh, it, it, it had a good moral to it, too. You know, I mean, it's not uh, it's not too late to sort of break your loop and start new with the people who are closest to you. So uh, really good movie, uh, really good sci fi. OK, awesome. Um, it's funny that you kind of dive back into the uh, the sci fi horror aspect there, Andrew. I think it just skirts just around the edge of it being considered horror like i i think it's more of a thriller, thriller I think. yeah it's, I, I don't even know if it's like a thriller like it definitely was thrilling but it's just right on the edge there mm-hmm. where i think they didn't do enough to honestly constitute this being a horror film uh they no, were close but it say. wasn't quite there um but i'm not mad about that like i i think they did a good no. job um they definitely use the tools they had at their disposal to make a good film um and mm-hmm. I I love the fact that I can go into this, uh, you know, a two hundred thousand uh, dollar film and be pleased with it and enjoy it, and then I could go watch a two hundred million dollar film, and mm-hmm. it's forgettable within like a day. You know, that that just goes to show the strength of uh, good writing, good filmmaking. You don't need the money; the money helps, but you need the talent there first and foremost. And I mean, even look at the acting. They didn't have A-listers or B-listers. I mean, not to insult anyone in this film, but these are a lot of unknowns. Yeah, I mean, and, and they did I was surprised job. clicking through clicking through this top list. I was surprised to see, oh yeah, you're right. This person is in this and that, mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, they're not recognizable yeah. though, not immediately. Mm-hmm. No. Um, we're we're talking about like Law and Order villains here. <laughs> not, not even that, because I watch enough procedurals that I know all these motherfuckers. I guess we call those criminals. <laughs> um, I think no, a Law and Order I, villain I is just, a criminal. I think this is good sci-fi first and foremost, and this is a oh, good yeah. film. I just yeah, anyone. I don't think a lot of people could deny that. I and mean, not that it should be the end-all, be-all, but you look at Rotten Tomatoes and you look at uh, all these other collection of critics and they all agree this was good and i, I think they're right um and honestly i'm looking forward to seeing because they're young i'm looking to see what else comes out of uh, justin and aaron in the future here yeah. uh, especially because sci-fi and horror seem to be their main bag so as long as they keep combining them mm-hmm. maybe these guys should do the next event horizon no, i'm just kidding you heard it here first folks. hey no. i say I give them star no. wars <laughs> they made a good they made good indie uh yeah, <laughs> yeah disney collectively just threw up in their garbage can yeah. and ran away so <laughs> well, they're already you know, in-house they, you know they gave them marvel just, yeah. you know yeah they, gave they made marvel. a couple good indie films that were very thoughful and stuff just yeah just them give over. them star wars <laughs> isn't that how that works though wouldn't be hard. yeah but that's what i mean it'll yeah well never mind we don't have to get on that they they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't do any worse than uh uh ryan johnson you mean JJ? JJ <laughs> <J>. Johnson. <laughs> yeah, they couldn't J. do J. any J. worse than Ray J. Johnson. 
you made you made something here mm-hmm. today andrew okay all right folks that's all <laughs> we have for you um on the topic of the endless if you guys haven't checked it out yet um i don't think we yeah we spoiled most of it um but go enjoy it anyways um and if you haven't checked out uh, their other work a lot of us here have seen some of it so uh, we all kind of stand by it. Go check out Syncratic. Go check out uh, Jason. You, rec- you recommend the companion piece resolution. Uh, we got VHS. Go check them out, man. These are these are young, talented uh, filmmakers. So check them out. For greater effect on this episode, just hit that repeat button now. <laughs> this, uh, this this is my this, loop. Uh, listen I'm to this doomed. episode endlessly. I'm doomed yeah. for the rest of just eternity. Loop, just loop I'm sitting it. on my yeah. couch drinking mm-hmm. coffee out of a mason jar and. Indiana. <laughs> That's my loop. Talking to you, assholes. Dang, it could be worse. You've become a true Midwesterner. Um, thanks for calling me an asshole. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for making my coffee. <laughs> Anyways, folks, yeah, check all this guy's stuff out, and next week we'll get to you with The Martian. Until next time. I found the recipe for the super concrete. Mama, hey mama, what's this one? Hey, hey what's this one for? It looks one? like a concrete. Hey. <laughs> she just picks it up and throws it down again. Hey. It's no, no. Ball. I chiseled it. No, no. Oh, this is the worst spaghetti I ever had. Mama. <laughs> My teeth are all broke. <laughs> That's what happens when you break your teeth. You go from Italian to Brooklyn. <laughs> no, well, maybe. Hey, Pauline, I need you to take this pizza over across the street and get it there while it's hot. It's hot. Pauline. Mario, hey, my friend. Yeah, they're Bally. using the. Hey, they're using, you want to give me that concrete or what? Jacob, my they're, friend. They're using the tablet that has the super concrete recipe that was found in the ruins of Vesuvius or whatever. They're using it as uh, oh, that's what no. they put the pizza pie on in the oven, the in the brick yeah, oven. Pizza. That's the pizza stone. <laughs> that's the pizza yeah, stone. I think they're using the uh, um, the, the ancient Grecian Greco pizza stone. Uh, Ten mm-hmm. pro. What are you Without- doing? That's uh, the recipe for the super concrete. <laughs> super concrete. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Super concrete. Uh, yeah. Then we've gone through four or five different dialects. I lose the plot a little bit uh, when I get to concrete. I don't know how, uh, you know. That's <clears throat> just the, the concrete. I guess you could add probably another uh, syllable in uh, at the first part of the word. So, canacrita. The canacrita. That's how I would do it.
Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Mark Potker. Jason. Andrew's back. And, and back. And back. And back. And oh, back. I see what you did there. Oh, oh, oh you, mm-hmm, you clever mm-hmm, son of a mm-hmm. bitch. You um, cheeky, yeah. ice criminalist son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> ice criminalist. that. Um, tonight we were talking about the... Uh, 2017 sci-fi film The Endless. Uh, The Endless was written by Justin Benson and directed by Justin Benson and his buddy Aaron Moorhead also happened to be the two lead actors of the film.